0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. We have a fantastic guest for you. Before I tell you more about this week's special guest, I also want to tell you that this year um, with Shifting Schools, I've launched a special initiative where every month for 30 minutes, I'm getting together with GSA, SOGI, PRISM, Student Advocacy, educator facilitators for us to share resources. Now, if you're interested in finding out more about one of those get togethers or you want to propose a topic or a day or time for us to get together, the best way to find out more is to subscribe to my free newsletter. You can learn more about that at allyed.org. I will be sure to leave that link for you over there in the show notes. Most recently this week, we got together to talk about resources that help scaffold the process for our student leaders especially those who are getting ready to graduate for them to really think about the legacy that they have co-created and how it's really important for them to reflect on what they have done in community for community so i do have a free resource that has three different templates for you to try out, for you to remix, for you to tinker with. You can also get the link to that free guide over there in the show notes. Before I tell you a little bit more about today's guest, I also want to remind you about the Shifting Schools podcast, which it has been a great pleasure of mine to co-host.
1: Hi folks, I'm Jeff Udick, the founder of Shifting Schools and the co-host, along with Trisha, of the Shifting Schools podcast. If you are a fan of this show and a fan of Trisha's, you should check out Shifting Schools podcast. We drop a new episode every Monday. While you're at it, be sure to check out over 60 free guides and resources we have for educators on our website at shiftingschools.com.
0: And when you explore the professional learning options from Shifting Schools, you might notice the... Media Literacy and Inclusion Self-Paced Course. I'll link to that in the show notes. If you're interested in trying that out and you'd like a special discount as a listener of this show, you can drop me a line. You can always reach me at Trisha, T-R-I-C-I-A, at ShiftingSchools.com. Now on with today's episode. Our special guest is Vernon A. Wall. Vernon has accumulated over 30 years of professional student affairs experience at Iowa State University, the University of Georgia, UNC Charlotte, and UNC Chapel Hill. He has experience in greek life new student orientation student activities leadership development global education and university housing vernon currently lives in washington dc where he serves as the director of business development for leadership incorporated vernon is also president and founder of one better world llc a consulting firm specializing in engaging others in courageous social justice and equity conversations. In spring of 1998, Vernon sailed with Semester at Sea as a member of the Student Life Team, accompanying 600 students on a voyage around the world. Vernon is also a past president of ACPA College Student Educators International, with degrees from North Carolina State University and Indiana University. Vernon is the consummate scholar practitioner. He is also known as a speaker in areas of social justice leadership styles and is one of the founders and facilitators of the Social Justice Training Institute. Vernon has written several articles and has co-edited two books on issues of inclusion, on today's college campus. His award-winning programs and presentations have been seen by thousands of students, faculty, and staff on campuses across the US. Vernon's passion for social justice and inclusion is grounded in a quote from his late grandmother, quote, may the work I've done speak for me, end quote. Please join me in welcoming to the show Vernon A. Wall. And a reminder that when you head to the show notes, you'll learn all about ways to connect with him further Um, Vernon I'd like to start today's discussion by actually quoting you back to you and this comes from a recent presentation that you gave entitled tinder gaga and grinder oh my supporting today's LGBTQ plus college students and listeners if you're curious about that you should be the link to that is still live I'll be sure to include it in the show notes because Vernon just dropped sort of like wisdom nugget after wisdom nugget so uh, one of those wisdom nuggets is you said, quote, we really need to constantly be getting a sense for where we are at now with identities that we are conscious of and unconscious of, And quote. Vernon, I'm hoping you might just expand a little bit um, on that quote and um, maybe talk to us a little bit about how we can keep pushing for that type of identity-based reflection.
1: Sure. Well, first, thank you, Tricia, for having me. i um, so excited to have this conversation. Um, This that that actually comment comes from the work that I've done over the years around understanding how to have great conversations around equity and inclusion. And if you remember, for those of us that have been around for a while, we remember that the initial conversation around equity and inclusion were around. um, Here's an identity group. Let's become aware of them. And they're just like everybody else. It was sort of this um, awareness piece um, that was really about the other. It was really focused outward. Programs and services on college campuses are about the other. It's about, okay, we've got this group that's not like the like the privileged identity group. So we need to make sure that they are happy and safe and okay, which is fine. And the, what's missing is we've got to find our voice in the conversation. So the reason why I share that is because it's really important for me to recognize the fact that I have marginalized and privileged identities in me. So the way that I'm gonna understand white people as a person who identifies as black and African-American is to understand my privileged identities. And so I show up as a cisgender man every day in the world. I do, I don't ask for it, I just do. And I get privilege from that. And privilege, I think there's this narrative that privilege equals bad, but for me, privilege equals opportunity. It allows me to say, okay, in my privileged identity, what can I do in order to move the needle around equity and inclusion? And so many of us, I think, specifically those of us that see the world through our marginalized identities, we tend to, that's, that's what we see. And so it's really important for me to pull myself back every now and then and go, okay. So I have, I have so many privileged identities. As a matter of fact, if I did an inventory right now that shared with you my privilege and marginalized identities, I would have more privileged identities than marginalized identities. But that doesn't mean that I don't still get the, the, the society's view of who I am when I walk into the room, but it just, it just makes me realize, okay, I need to unpack, you know, for me, Christian, for me, cisgender male. Um, for me, um, I'm, I'm in a, a socioeconomic class that is, is not marginalized. And so all of that allows me to have better conversations and to understand. So that's where that comes from.
0: And and I really appreciate that, Vernon. And, and you're reminding me um, over the summer, I was very fortunate to get to host Michelle Mijong Kim on the podcast talking about uh, their book, The Wake Up. And inside of that book, uh, Michelle also makes a big push that like you said, we have to kind of uh, like pivot around our mindset that has been there around what it means to talk about privilege, right? And that sometimes people hear that word and it's like immediately they get defensive i'm guessing actually that kind of reflection even just you know you talking to you about privilege is not necessarily easy the first few few times uh and and i'm wondering if there's anything that's helped you sort of in your journey around having those conversations or as you say just having a really nuanced look at Mm -hmm. privilege because you know you mentioned socioeconomic there's so many different prisms to it it's not just one thing or one aspect of our identity
1: yeah, I think, you know, what what I what I've tried to do and and trust me, I'm on this learning journey with everybody else. Um, but when I like I'll always use the example around gender, when I walk into a room and there are women in the room and they're all amazing leaders in whatever profession that they're in, I get a little nervous. I'm like, oh, I really believe that they don't think that I'm fighting. I'm, I really believe that they look at me and they say, Vern not doing enough to eradicate sexism in the world. Vernon is not, I, I get this in my head. I get, I, all, I talk myself out of, oh, wow, they really are judging me right now. And I really feel that. And then I go, but wait a minute. It's not about, it's, it's about me doing the work mm-hmm. and not about getting accolades or getting, because that's, that's another point of privilege is that we believe that if we do something in our privilege that somehow moves the needle around equity and inclusion, we need to be patted on the back and said, Vernon, you did a, thank you. But no, I do not. Because people in their marginalized identities don't get thanked often. But I, in my privilege, I believe that I need to be, you know, I need to be um, acknowledged for the work that I do. And that's the big thing that I have really worked on is like, nope. I mean, I may have someone look at me and just walk away, but I'm hopeful that they know that I've done some good work. Because keep in mind, in our marginalized identities, there's a lot of trauma. There's, there's a lot of trust issues. So I know me and I think about me as a queer person. Sometimes I don't trust straight people. I'm like, I don't know why you're in my bar that is a queer space and you say as a cisgender woman that you feel comfortable. But I'm thinking, mm, no, because I would never go into a women spoken word event and jump on stage and go, I have something to say because I support you. It's not my space. So I, I try to remember how to how do I feel sometimes in my marginalized identities when I interact with folks in privilege in order to then go, OK, so that's how they're that's how folks are interacting with me. They're saying, Vernon, we don't know. We don't trust. you. We don't know. You've got to gain our trust. And I need to be OK with that.
0: Thank you. And, you know, thank you even j- just for the kind of vulnerable modeling of sharing with listeners that self-talk, uh, you know, that's something that I've been trying to do a little bit more often as well. And and listeners of this show working with young learners, I think it's really interesting the number of times I've had a conversation where, like you, it's sort of, you know, I'm telling myself a story about what's happening around me. And sometimes it's almost like I'm dating myself here, but like the Walkman, like push <laughs> hold down the pause button for a second, right, and and, uh, and examine that. So thanks for kind of doing that for us in, in real time here. Um, Vernon, that presentation that you gave, you also talk about the role of scholarship, the role of research, and you reference a time where you and a colleague were just really aware of the fact that there was a huge lack of scholarship around LGBTQ plus the student experience that they have, and right. a tipping point where you decided to actually start doing some of that that scholarship and research can you tell us about some of the key questions you see researchers asking and and maybe perhaps point us to a question that you think scholars need to continue to investigate and dig into
1: well i there oh gosh there's so many great 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 folks that have come um after me um that have done some great work around queer um theory and leadership and scholarship um, I think right now what I want to see more of is looking at generations um, and thinking about, so who are the next queer um, leaders and what are they thinking? Especially K-12 through and college students, you know, what's going on with them right now? I mean, it's very different. I mean, I think I shared um, during my um, presentation that, you know, when I came out um, as an undergrad at NC State, I had two lives. Um, I had my queer life, which were these wonderful, amazing um, people that I hung out with, mostly socially at bars, because that's all we had. And then I had my straight friends who, and never the two shall ever interact. That was just not in my mind. And now I watch um, young queer folk really engage um, people who identify as, you know, gender nonconforming, as straight, um, as bisexual, um, and just... Um, and it's 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 a it's different. And and I I celebrate that. I'm like, oh my God, you had someone in college or in um, you know, as a senior in high school where you connected with, and they were like, Yes, you are whole, you are my friend, and I will support you. Um, and then now how does that sort of translate now into people wanting queer spaces and and they're not being as many. And what does that look like? And is it, and I don't know, and I never have the, I'm, I'm not in the either or mindset. I'm more of the, it's, it's the both and. It's like, I'm never like, oh no, we should never have people come into our bars that aren't queer. I'm like, no, no, no. But how do you navigate that in a way that is, queer? So I really want there to be more conversations around what are people feeling and thinking as they're coming out now? That's the first thing. And the second thing is for us to recognize the fact that folks are still struggling coming out. I mean, I think there's this feeling that, you know, we have marriage equality, we have communities that are supportive of LGBTQ plus people, we have this energy around um, making sure that folks feel that they matter. And there are people in other communities that are not welcomed, are are continually, you know, bullied. And I mean, and we talk, we can talk about trans violence. And it's, we we can't rest on our laurels that everything is okay. Um and I know that I and I I share this with because I live in Washington, DC, where it is probably the queerest place that you could ever live. Um in, in and it is, and I have to remind myself that um this is this is this is a moment and there are people that are still struggling. So I want to make sure that there's research and scholarship around coming out, around current generations, um, and around what's next for us. I mean, what's next in terms of Assisting people as they move through the coming out process and and ex- expanding that to a space where we are welcoming folks who identify as trans as gender nonconforming um as people who are asexual I mean the whole umbrella because we've not really done um, as much research as we should to make sure that we have folks' voices in um in this conversation.
0: great. Thank you so much for that. and And I appreciate, too. you you talk about finding that balance in the presentation of. And I hear this all the time, like, oh, we still need to do education around that. Yes, we do. Um, And I I really appreciate you talking about it is, of course, still very complex navigating queer identities. And in some ways, uh, you know, I feel like you touched upon this. In some ways, the progress also has led to a backlash, right? So I really appreciate even you just saying it's not we're not at a point where you know, feet up on the desk, uh, job done kind of a thing. There is still so much to do. Uh, Vernon, in your piece for the ACPA, that's the American College Personnel Association, entitled All I Know So Far, and I'll link to the full text in the show notes, you address the motivation behind reducing your word of the word resilient. Um, I love this, I think it's a really important pivot and I'd love to see more leaders do that reflection. Can you say more about how you came to make that shift of just, um, again, problematizing the way that that word resilient shows up all the time?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I wanna shout out to Pink. For um all I know so far, because I I came up with that listening to her song, because I think she's an amazing artist and um and human rights activist. I mean, people don't realize all the things she's done. And I, I remember listening to this song and thinking, oh, this is this is gonna be my last sort of um penned conversation that I wrote for ACPA as I was leaving the ACPA presidency. And I was like, you know, this is it. And and I remember so. As folks who don't know, ACPA, one of the um, leading um, higher education associations for folks who are in student affairs, um, I was honored to be president. Um, And as my mother jokingly said, as I became president, leave it to you as an overachiever, Vernon, to be president of association during multiple pandemics. And I went, (laughs) you're welcome. And it's true. And so, I mean, there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. And I remember... Being, I don't know. I think I was on a Zoom call with with some people that were talking about because I tried to be in touch with folks, you know, during the time when we were all shut down, you know, chatting with people in higher education, K through twelve, who were really struggling. I mean, just you know, trying to navigate, you know, how do we be in this virtual space, and also too, how do we support um, our students? And I remember someone saying that the term resilient is is off-putting because from our marginalized identities, the way that we have survived for hundreds of years is because we have been resilient. And think about women, think about queer people, think about Black people, Brown, um, Asian-American, just anyone, Native Americans, sure, Native and Indigenous folks, the only reason we are here today is because we believed that there is hope and liberation and that, we, and that we, we will be fine. And it was because of that. And so to say the word over and over again to folks in their marginalized identities is, is a disservice. Because, I mean, but I think that in our margin, in our privileged spaces, we thought, oh my God, what a great word to use mm-hmm. over and over again. Look how resilient we are as a country, as a nation. And, and marginalized folks are going, yeah, but we've kind of been this forever. And we continue to be that. And so I really, it doesn't mean that I won't use the term. I mean, I will. And, and I don't, I'm not telling, I think sometimes when, when people hear things like this around language and words, specifically in our marginalized identity I mean, our privileged identities, we go, oh, I, okay, so I should never use that word again. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we should just know that that word has different, it lands on people differently based on who they are. And how can we honor that? And so when I'm talking to someone and I know that they have uh, marginalized identities, I'll say, this is a word that I know sometimes lands on people differently. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be aware of that. Um, And so that's, that's for me, why I've sort of, you know, I don't, I try not to use that word as much because I'm just like, no, no. My mother was probably the most resilient person I've ever known, my dad. And all the things that they did during the civil rights movement that I never knew until they decided to tell me at some point, um, yeah, those are resilient people, and I don't need to say that.
0: Thank you, and you know, again, listeners, I just want to point out the the link to that presentation that we have referenced several times. Check that out because I think Vernon, you're, you know, not not pushing towards binary thinking, but. Pushing towards critical thinking that is about questioning and awareness and curiosity, just it's flowing throughout that whole presentation, and I I really admire that. And I think again, that's that's kind of the that balance, that conversational balance is is such a great goal for so many of us. Vernon, okay. you deliver talks all around the world, and I love your Vernon roadmap that's on your website that kind of shows that. Okay. Uh, listeners, check that out. It's a great visual. Uh, Listeners of the show, of course, primarily in that world of K-12 education, quite a few of our listeners are university advisement counselors. I'm wondering what opportunities there might be for them to invite you virtually or otherwise to support them in the work that uh, that they're doing.
1: Sure. I'm happy to have conversations with folks um, and then decide if I can be of assistance. I also have a, a cadre of colleagues who I can share that do this work also too, but um, you know, I probably the the biggest resource that I'll give people is the Social Justice Training Institute, which uh, myself and three other colleagues started uh, in 1998. I can't believe it was 1998, but um, and we do um, institutes in June and December, um, usually about 45 people. Um, the applications um, for the June Institute in Columbus, Ohio, will be up um, in January. Um, and really, it's a laboratory about um, unpacking who you are. I think a lot of people, when they're doing this work, they want to go to train the trainer activities. Mm-hmm. Its sort of this, I want to learn how to do the work. But we believe that the only way you can do the work is to know who you are in terms of your privilege and marginalized identity. So we pull people together to actually be participants in an experience that allows for them to unpack their privilege and marginalized identities and say, now, how do I show up when I'm in a room um, and doing a presentation? What does it look like for me to know that, hmm, this person is, is speaking from their marginalized identities, even though I'm hearing them from a privileged space, um, which is really important for queer white people to know. I mean, a lot of times queer white people go, I'm in a room, I'm in a room as queer. I'm good. I'm like you. No, you're not. Because you're coming in also to being white, which means what does that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't um, it doesn't sort of um erase the fact that you're queer, but it does allow for us to see you wholly. And so I would definitely encourage people to look at SJTI.org um and see if you'd like to join us um, in one of our institutes, because I do believe it's a great opportunity to kind of unpack who you are and what that looks like. Um and as I mentioned, I'm so Grateful that I'm that I'm doing this work, Um, and I I have to say this because I'm being I'm I'm saying this a lot more lately is that a lot of us do this work around equity inclusion and social justice through the lenses of hurt, pain, anger, and frustration, Hmm. and that's not good. You need to do hurt, pain, anger, frustration, liberation, and hope. All of that together allows for us to be whole people because. I'm not in a space now where I'm going to share my pain with you in order for you to grow as a person because that doesn't work. We think it does, but it doesn't. The way that I connect with you is I see your humanity and I hear you and I hear your stories, but I also hear your stories of love and compassion and liberation and hope. Not, But we believe that the only way that and, and we know this narrative. We saw it um, in every, we see it in everything. Someone will get up and talk about their marginalized identities and say, How this is what happened to me in a horrible, horrible way. So you can change and stop it. That doesn't work. It doesn't. It works when we talk about our whole humanity and who we are and say, You know what? I enjoy my marginalized identities. I, I can't tell you how much joy and fun and love. I was just telling somebody last night that, um, Coretta Scott Queen, Coretta Scott King, when she was um, uh, speaking to a group of students one time before she passed away, um, they asked her, "So, what is it about your husband that made him a civil rights legend?" And she said, "His laugh and his humor." And I was like, "What? Didn't, Didn't see that coming," because he enjoyed life. She said his laugh, when he laughed, it, it just shook the room. And so even though all of the things that happened to this civil rights icon, he knew that his family and his life and his love was the most important thing. So we've got to keep that. We got to hold on to that and know that there's going to be struggles. There's so much happening in our world right now, in our country. And it's not new. <laughs> it's just repackaged. And we just need to be about that. We just need to be about that
0: it's such a great message and we've talked on this show before about you know folks sometimes get very excited to you know quote unquote diversify their classroom library um Mm -hmm. and just the significance of if you are trying to tell more queer stories you know more stories from the global majority what are some of the narratives right it it can't always be as you're saying these stories of struggle we need to see stories of hope of joy of folks thriving in that way it reminds me um dr jane ward has a, a book that's quite academic it's called the tragedy of heterosexuality oh. and in that book she goes sort of on and on about um you know we have this narrative that being a lesbian is this awful thing and you know and i i love being a lesbian you know i I love being married to my wife. It's great, but it's true. You know, I, I feel like uh, a lot of popular cultural narratives around that. there's so much doom and gloom. Um, Vernon, you know, you you mentioned d c being what you feel is one of the the queerest places on the planet. We are kind of just at the threshold of winter. And I'd love to kind of end this conversation on that note of what we do to find our joy, what we do, perhaps to find community that sustains us. Um, you know, as you said, there's a lot going on in the world right now. We do need to keep making sure we're recharging our batteries. Yeah. Uh, is there something either at the local level or, or something that you are looking forward to in the next few weeks that um, for you has been a resource of joy?
1: That's a really good question. Um, well, the first thing that jumps into my head is my family. I mean, I've got a great mom. I mean, my dad passed away in January. So we're sort of, in this first of, of losing him um, in the first year. Um, he was 92. Um, and so he lived a great life. He um, was a high school band director. Um, and so we always had former students coming to our house and hanging out. And I do believe that the visuals of all of those students coming to my house um, when I was a child and they're from all walks of life, every all colors, all faiths, all genders, all sexual orientations, I mean, I, I do believe that 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 grounded me in in what life is supposed to be, um, so I'm going to be with my mom and my sister and my brother and and maybe some nephews, but they're all in that age where they're they don't like anything. So so yeah, I don't know if the nephews are coming, but we'll see. I mean, one of them will definitely come, uh, but the other four, yeah, they're in this, yeah, they're in a space of like, yeah, we don't like anything. Uh, uh, so that's that's exciting. Um, I'm in D.C. I I try to um, once a month go to a museum. Um, because of course in DC um, all the museums, most of them are free, and I try to make sure that I just go in an afternoon. And um, the and fall is and winter is the best time to go because not a lot of high school students are there, so I get to go and 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 enjoy. Um, and the other thing is, and this is hysterical, but I don't know if people realize that DC shuts down starting on sun, starting literally just before on um, Thanksgiving. Um, the entire because everybody's either you know congress goes on break and um everybody has holiday parties and so from about thanksgiving until january 5th um there are constant parties in in the district the entire time and so we all laugh about how we have to kind of um pace ourselves and go okay which ones do we want to go to because we can't go out every night for 30 days we just can't and um but i am looking forward the energy in dc is always so wonderful as we move through the holidays some people are leaving to go see their family some people are staying um but there's something about um dc in december that is just magical so i'm 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 looking forward to that
0: well wishing you and your family a very magical winter season in dc vernon thank you so much for sharing some of your insight with us on the podcast this week i'll be sure to link over to all of the other places to connect with you. Thanks again so much. Thank you. Listeners, thank you again for giving up some of your time for this conversation. Please do head to the show notes, check out that presentation by Vernon, all of the other additional resources mentioned. And Vernon also asked me to give a shout out to the Creating Change Conference that's coming to California in 2023. So look out for the link for that in the show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, independent media like the show you're listening to, we really rely heavily on ratings, reviews, on word of mouth, you telling a friend or a colleague about the show. So if you can do any of those things, as always, I'd appreciate it, and I'll see you again next Thursday.